Leanne Tran, psychologist who's worked with families whose kids don't fit the mould for almost 20 years. I've worked with children for decades, but I know parents are the real change makers when it comes to their kids. Having three kids of my own means I know it's not easy. Parent Like a Psychologist is all about simplifying how you support your kids with psychology information filtered through years of experience to take you from overwhelmed to confident. Come on in. Hi parents. Um, who is with me that they are also feeling the end of year burnout that um, comes with all the busyness of this time of year? Uh, I know it's certainly not just the kids I talk to who are feeling this way. It's also their parents. So I just want to say you're not alone today. I know what it feels like. Um, and lots of the parents I talk to do as well. And they're in the same boat. So I am going to, um, I don't know, cover a quick topic today, I guess, because, well, quick for me in that I talk with parents about this all the time. And so this is one that I could... Um, a topic where I could share my knowledge with you without putting too much preparation time into it because that's one of my strategies to manage my levels of stress and busyness this time of year is to try to minimize the amount of extra stuff that I need to do and the same for my family. Um, I am going to talk about cognitive assessments today because I looked back over my podcasts and realized I haven't done one on that um, area, completely on that area before. And so because it's something I do really commonly and your kids, whether they are autistic or have ADHD or uh, other, other, you know, are developing along another path, may need a cognitive assessment. Or you may have had one and, and not quite understood what it meant. And that's something I commonly hear parents say as well. And that's a real shame because I feel like as psychologists, our job is to not only do the assessments, but to communicate it in a way so that parents can understand. But not only that, my um, marker of success is when parents go, yes, that is absolutely them you've got it. And then I feel like parents and teachers can understand a child as well. So some of the reasons you might get a cognitive assessment are if you're worried your child's not developing and meeting their milestones um, as they should, particularly when younger, moving into that kindy preschool kind of age. Uh, another reason might be if they have met milestones but are struggling with day-to-day um, -day tasks or things at school with learning, problem solving, that kind of thing. And another might be if they're doing really well with everything except learning and they, there seems to be some disconnect and maybe you feel your child knows things or can understand but they just can't express it properly. Those are probably the three key areas um, or times at which I'd be thinking about a cognitive assessment. When you see a psychologist for that, um, ideally, I mean, this should always happen really, is that you meet with a psychologist first 
because cognitive assessments um, are a big investment of time and money. So we want to make sure that we are on the right track first. We want to make sure that you need it and we want to make sure that we can choose the right one and also that it's the right time to be doing an assessment. Um, some of the reasons it might not be the right time is if there are other things going on, perhaps like significant anxiety or mental health difficulties, um, ADHD that might not be um, identified yet and might be affecting learning or other things like kids are in the midst of really big life changes. Um, this, the other big thing we want to work out is whether your child has enough language ability to do um, the regular assessments that psychologists might do. If not, that's okay. There are other assessments we do, but we're not going to be able to determine that without meeting your child first. And reading through any reports you have, hearing from um, your teachers and what's happening at home. I think it's a great opportunity to also then ask questions about the type of assessment, what it's going to tell, how it might be helpful, so that you can decide how to use your resources um, the best way. I want to talk today about one of the most common cognitive assessments that we do as psychologists, working with children that is, and it's called the WISC. You might have heard of this before, often teachers um, refer to it and guidance officers at school. It stands for the Weschler Intelligence Scale for Children, so W-I-S-C. Um, and it's probably one of, it's one of the most common assessments and it does most things, but not all things. Um, so I'll refer to that a little bit, but I don't think you necessarily need to know the names of the different assessments and, and that kind of thing, because your psychologist will take care of that for you. But what you really need to know is what they measure, I think, and that can help you decide whether that's going to be the right step for you and your child. So cognitive assessments are based on a model of intelligence that maps out really so many different areas of intelligence. And it's only really five to seven of these that we measure in cognitive assessments. And so that, that's the routine ones. Um, I always explain it to kids that, that Cognitive assessments are great at predicting how kids might go at school and they don't necessarily predict how kids go in life. Because some of the things that we know are areas of intelligence but that aren't measured by cognitive assessments are things like um, knowledge in really specific areas. Uh, and those are things that might be utilised in jobs and careers, vocations, but not necessarily at school. It's not likely that that's going to be tapped into in a great deal. So the results are good at lining up with the school system, but that's all. I think, um, I mean, in general, though, if, if skills are delayed across the board, it does give a bit of an indication of what life might be like in the sense that kids might need more support. Um, but again, that doesn't 
line up exactly with success. And it also depends on how you define success in life. Um, so the, the WISC is the assessment that's commonly used and it measures five different areas um, of cognitive abilities. The WISC measures uh, verbal comprehension, processing speed, working memory, visual spatial skills and fluid reasoning. And I'll go through what those things are in detail now. Verbal comprehension is the first um, cognitive ability measured in the WISC. Verbal comprehension really um, reflects, well, actually maybe I won't even talk about what what it's called in the WISC so much, but what it measures is this um, fluid, actually it's not fluid reasoning, let me go back. Verbal comprehension um, is what it's called in the WISC. What it really measures is crystallized knowledge. So what that means is the, the ability to understand and store away information. So some of the skills that that reflects is things like vocabulary, um, being able to compare ideas verbally, so how things are similar. And it really reflects the ability to, um, yeah, learn those things and store them away so that you've got a bank of general knowledge. So it's not so much problem solving and using the knowledge, but it's the ability to store it away and remember it for later. The second area um, I want to talk about is visual spatial skills. And that's an area that is about understanding um, things in a visual sense. So for example, um, things like distance between items, um, how to, things like distance, um, time, and that kind of thing, weight, those, those differences. And that's a really good ability, sorry, that's a really good skill for underlying things like geometry um, in high school. Beyond that, it might be for kids a bit about how to organize their work on the page um, and I guess learn visually. So that's actually, that's probably, it doesn't really, I was going to say it underlies maths, but not really. It's mostly geometry that um, is underlied, underlie that visual spatial skills underlies. Um, the next area to talk about is fluid reasoning. And that's the one that underlies maths more importantly. And fluid reasoning is essentially problem solving. So fluid reasoning re measures the ability to take information that you've used, uh, sorry, that you've learned before and to use it to solve a new problem that you're facing. And if you think about it, that's um, a skill that's used every single time kids do a test or assessment. They need to use that skill of taking what they've learned before and applying it to the current problem. So sometimes kids, if they have difficulty with this, might need problem solving techniques taught to them um, and have them learn ways to think about a situation and analyze it so that they can solve problems. The fourth area, we're up to four now I think, is working memory. 
And working memory is um, a really important skill in not only school, but lots of things across life. I've talked about it before a bit in the um, some other episodes about writing and that kind of thing. Working memory is the ability to keep information in your mind as you solve a problem. And it's usually seconds, um, possibly up to minutes that, that that's talking about. And so I often describe it to parents as remembering um, what you need at the shops as you go around and do the shopping. So you might be rehearsing that little min- mental list of, of thinking about the four or five things that you need. You usually forget one at least. Well, I do anyway. <laughs> um, and how that's used in the school context or um, in real life is, for example, kids having to remember what sum they're trying to do while they compute it. Or it might re- be remembering the um, requirements of a writing task as they're actually writing it out. In real life, it can reflect things like being able to remember, the th- if you give them three or four instructions, being able to remember those for long enough for them to complete it. And I don't know about any of you guys, but at the moment I've noticed um, that working memory around our house seems to be a little bit poorer than usual. And working memory is something that is affected a lot by stress and anxiety. So keep that in mind. Maybe it's worth simplifying demands and instructions at this busy time of year. The fifth area measured on the WISC is processing speed. And that means how quickly a child can execute um, certain cognitive functions. So it's not about ability to do these things. It's purely about the speed. Um, How quickly your kids can do simple things once they've learned it over and over is what processing speed measures. Processing speed um, difficulties make it hard to do other, well, a range of things because of the fact that when uh, the brain is working through it slowly, some things get forgotten, some things kids don't have time for, and, um, and that kind of thing. You might notice if your child has processing speed difficulties, you might notice that they take a long time to to process after you've said something to them or given them an instruction. Um, And they might take a while in formulating their answer and getting it out. Sometimes it's just can be the rate of completing work is quite slow. Um, At home, I guess that's around getting ready sometimes in the morning or completing tasks could be processing speed. So those are the five things that's measured by the WISC. There are two other things um, that can be really useful to measure as well, particularly if kids have learning difficulties. The first one of those is um, an ability called long-term retrieval. And that is made up of a couple of different um, cognitive skills, but as a broad area, it means how fluently or efficiently kids can recall 
things they've learned a long time ago. And so when I'm measuring this in kids, it's often two areas. One is um, associative memory. And so that is how quickly kids can associate two things together and remember them. Um, and that's important for learning because we need to be able to um, recall things we've learned before and hang the new knowledge onto that old learning. The other area that um, is common to look into is called naming facility. And that really means how quickly kids can name things. And that's important because often we as educational psychologists are looking at it in the context of naming letters and um, speech pathologists too often are looking at it in terms of recalling those letter sound combinations as well because those things really play a vital role in learning to read and to spell um, so that's why those things are really important um, the final area is a cognitive ability called auditory processing and this from a psychology lens is a little bit different to the process of hearing, which um, audiologists may complete assessments for. But from the cognitive lens, um, auditory processing is the ability to um, take in, manipulate, which means use and produce um, sounds. And so that is a vital part of the um, way kids are taught to learn, uh, sorry, kids are taught to read these days, which is through phonics and um, matching up sounds with letters and that kind of thing. So it's important that we do that as well, rather than just the whisk, because um, we've got to understand all of these areas because learning challenges and difficulties usually correspond to an area of difficulty in a cognitive area or skill. Um, so it means that by understanding the underlying difficulty, we can make recommendations that are much more aligned to what your child needs. So that's like a whirlwind tour of the brain, um, I think. So to summarize the important parts. I think it's important to know for kids that learning and school results are one thing, but it doesn't always equate success in life. We look at um, the range of different cognitive areas to understand a child's pattern of strengths and if there are any um, potential areas of difficulty because um, supporting those areas of difficulty is going to make school a lot better. There's generally, we see these abilities as um, not so much fixed, but fairly stable or innate so that there's not so much we can do to improve those things. They may improve over time with um, exposure to school and just learning in general. But it's better, I find, to recommend things that are going to support our kids rather than to overload them with extra expectations of learning and catching up to others. When I'm explaining cognitive abilities to kids, I always say that there are a range of um, abilities and everybody 
has a different kind of level of ability. And so most of us as humans will be in the average range in the middle here. Um, so there's a big spike in the middle where most of us sit. Some people will be along one end, which means that learning is quite easy for them. Things t come to them quickly. They don't seem to have to put in much effort. And there are people down the other end where learning is harder for them. Things come to them more slowly. They might need more repetition and practice and learning is more effortful. And sometimes I think we worry that telling kids will reinforce how they feel, like maybe negative thoughts or feelings about themselves. But I think kids are smarter than we give them credit for a lot of the time. And giving kids an understanding of themselves is most of the time beneficial because they probably already know what they find hard and, and having an explanation that makes sense to them, but also giving them strategies to move forward can be really um, reassuring and affirming and helpful for kids. So I usually um, show them this pattern, say we all have strengths and um, some of us have difficulties in certain areas, that's okay. We'll um, recommend some strategies to support them at school. Um, I, I don't know if there's actually much more to say on the topic because I just wanted to give a really good basic um, overview of what, what cognitive um, assessments measure because I think lots of the time people come to me and they don't know, and they might say that school told them they needed one or um, the pediatrician told them they needed one. They don't know what it is and they're really unsure. So um, hopefully by giving an explanation for you about what they are and what they measure, um, gives you the information to understand it yourself and then share it with your child um, so that they know what to expect and what to prepare for. Um, the nonverbal assessments I talked about earlier measure the similar kinds of um, cognitive areas, except obviously the one about verbal skills, because we already know that's an area of difficulty. And usually um, those um, skills have been measured by a speech pathologist already. So then cognitive assessments can be completed without the use of language and then interpreted, interpreted or understood in the context of the language assessments or side by side of them. Um, and so the one that I use most, common is most commonly is called the UNIT. It's the Universal um, Nonverbal Intelligence Test, I think. And this one's um, done completely by gesture alone. So there's no language used in the administration of the test. And that means that children's difficulties with understanding language is not going to impact their performance. So we, it measures similar areas we've, I've talked to before. So that um, uh, fluid reasoning, kind of like the problem solving, um, quantitative or measurement skills uh, and some memory as well, but not with 
use of language. So it's a really great option to have for kids when we don't think they've got enough language skills um, to be able to do other assessments. So same kind of areas, um, but just different tests to do it. And there are other tests that measure things similar to the WISC as well. That's the bit you can leave to your psychologist. Um, but I think understanding what assessments measure and how we use them is really important. So if you have any questions on any of those particular areas, um, please let me know because I'm happy to dive deeper into any of those. Because my podcast is new, I think I'm um, doing lots of the broad areas, but eventually may get into more detail if that's what parents are interested in um, about specific things. So do let me know and um, you'll be helping me out to plan the topics I might be covering next year. Um, that's because I've in, I'm planning, gosh, I lost all my words then. That's because over the next few weeks and the school holidays, I'm planning to do a few shorter um, episodes that will be designed about how you can practically manage things in the school holidays. Um, so the episodes will be shorter because let's face it, all of us have less time in the school holidays. Unless you're a teacher, maybe. <laughs> um, and I think practical things are more helpful when then you can actually use and implement week to week. So that's what I'll be focusing on over the next um, two months or so. And then look forward to getting into more um, in-depth, chewy, I don't know, more, oh, what's the right, right word? Probably like dense or richer, like difficult, not difficult, but more complex topics. That's probably the best word. So hang in there over the summer and then um, I'll be back next year and let me know any questions you might have. Thanks so much for joining in again. Thanks for listening to this episode of Parent Like a Psychologist. If you found it helpful, please share on Instagram so other parents can benefit too and tag me at Leantran Psychology so that I can say a big thank you. Head over to leantran.com.au to join the village for bite-sized psychology tips straight to your inbox. I really hope this podcast has brought a new perspective and you a step closer towards a calm parent and a thriving child. Have a delightful day.